Welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You, a podcast exploring reproductive technology and life-changing stories. Here are your hosts, Jennifer White and Ellen Trackman. Welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You, the podcast where we explore how assisted reproductive technology is changing lives and our world. And my dogs are barking like crazy. All of you just need to know that this is my life. (laughs) I am here. I'm Jennifer White. I'm here with my dogs. And I am here with Ellen Trackman as well. In a different location. So no dogs here. She does not get the joy of my dogs except to listen to them the same as you all get to listen to them. (laughs) Oh, Oh. Oh, I'm so sorry to everybody. Um, but that's okay. We have different choice, like right? We're family. So <laughs> tell me, is there anything unique that you, or that you feel is unique about our family? Oh, so many things are unique about our family. Um, I mean, one, we work together as sisters. That's pretty special. I mean, not right. totally unique, but pretty nice. Yeah. Um, I mean, our, our, we grew up in Los Alamos where our dad was a nuclear engineer for the laboratory. That was pretty unique. We also have a really blended family where yes. um, we have stepbrothers and half brothers and half stepbrothers <laughs> and right. we all love. So shout out to them. Um, yeah. But I think, you know, just another example about how there's lots of ways to, to form families and lots of ways that it can work. Yeah. And sometimes those families need help and of not just of attorneys. I know you do love to talk <laughs> about the attorneys. And today we are talking to an attorney, Woo, but attorney. she has a different and unique perspective on ways that she felt compelled to help other families grow. And I really, I, I, I've loved, this is one of my favorites. I really have loved talking to her. Yeah. So thank you, Amanda Troxler for coming. Welcome, Amanda Troxler, to the show. Amanda, thanks for joining us. Hi, thanks for having me. Can we do a preliminary, like, ruin her story in advance, Ellen? Yes, always ruin ruin the ending, of course. Okay, you ready? Yeah. Amanda, Amanda. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes. All right, okay. That's the preview. You're like, why why are we chanting? (laughs) That's the teaser. How that will tie into her story later. It's adorable. Yes. So I will say, I know Amanda because she is a fellow assisted reproductive technology specialized attorney, and she practices in California. And I've seen her speak uh, many times at conferences, and she's a dynamic speaker. And so both knowledgeable about the law, but has these amazing personal stories that really inform and kind of touch our hearts. So I wanted to have Amanda on to tell all of that to to the world. So (laughs) thank you again for joining us. Amanda, do you want to start by kind of telling about your background? Like where where are you from? Mm -hmm. Why did you choose to go into law? Yeah. Yeah. So um, I grew up in Los Angeles. Um, Some of the people sometimes don't know about me because I don't usually open with it. Um, I was raised by my father, who is a single gay man. Um, so that, yeah, and that was um, different in the '80s and '90s than it is now. Yeah. So, that, so this is yeah. like this is what we always are like. A part of the thing we do in our podcast is striving yeah. to be like the kids are all right. Like there are many yeah. different ways to have families, and it doesn't yeah. mean that your child there's something wrong with them. But I think you're an amazing example that you are this like beautiful, talented, successful, like you, you have it all and you were raised by a single gay father. That's great. Mm -hmm. Um, do you mind if we dive a little bit, what was that experience like? You know, there were times that it was definitely hard and that was mostly because of just the cultural attitudes. Um, you know, when I was a little kid, I don't think I, I didn't know at all that there was anything really different about 
our family. Um, my father was involved in the gay community, so I, I knew a lot of gay people. I think when I was growing up, I I didn't know that there was anything really different about being gay. I just thought, you know, people like it same is what sex. It is, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I didn't, it didn't occur to me that there was anything to be concerned about or think about. Um, it wasn't until I was about eight that I started to experience a little bit of homophobia, and and I remember it. I remember that being in. I was in summer camp. And we were just talking about it. We were like in the cafeteria, just talking about our families and talking about talking my dad and his boyfriend at the time. And like one of the little girls got like really mean and nasty. Oh. I was saying like a bunch of, yeah, I was saying a bunch, bunch of mean things about my dad and wow. I don't know, he's going to hell or whatever. Um, and I was really surprised wow. by it. I had never heard anything like that. Yeah. Um, and I remember that I went to the camp counselor and I said, um, you know, can you, tell this little girl to stop saying so many mean things. <laughs> like she's yeah. it's coming out of nowhere. Yeah. And I remember the camp counselor saying that I needed to understand that people had different views than me. So I'm the one who's being intolerant, which Whoa. was very odd. Wow. <laughs> wow. You were being yeah. intolerant. Wow. <laughs> Over views that maybe he's going to hell, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> God, stop. My, yeah. Religious freedom, Amanda. Stop trying to... <laughs> Stop so to, you know, no. Exactly. And I remember um, talking to my dad about it when he picked me up because I was so surprised. And I remember him not being surprised like at all, which oh. was interesting. Yeah. I remember I told him what she said and he was just like, yeah, you know, some people think that. And I was like, what? Oh. And he's like, he was like, yeah, a lot of people think that. Oh. Like, what are you talking about? Oh. And so that's when we sort of started to, he sort of explained to me. And that's when I became, I think, aware of it. And there were certainly times that I got teased, but people, you know, children get teased for all sorts of things. Yeah. So sure. I think that it was a time that, that it was kind of, that it was hard for me. I mean, I love my father, but you never want to be different when you're a kid. But I think we also, I learned a lot from growing up that way. A lot about, you know, privilege and secrets. And it wasn't until I was in college, I started to openly talk about the fact that he's, he was deceased by that point. But I started to talk about him being gay because when I went to college, um, all the people around me came out as gay. So I made it like a little easier. <laughs> right. And then and people like just didn't care. They're like, okay, that's cool. And I was like, all right. Yeah. So it was definitely just like a cultural shift um, that, that really helped. Did he talk to you about your conception or kind of your birth story early on? Yes, he did. Uh, he had to uh, because, you know, there's a time when a child notices that everybody around them has a mother or a father and they don't, right? Um, so he did talk to me about it. I have some, I have information about how it came about. It's sort of cobbled together from things that I learned from my dad when I was growing up. And then also I'm in contact with my mother. I met her when I was 19. And so some things that I've learned from her, but essentially they, they met in West Hollywood. Um, my mother said it was a mixed group of people who were looking for the opposite sex, either for, as a beard to someone to take to like family functions and work functions or like a subset of people looking to procreate. My dad was probably one of the few, if only, if not only men in that subset. And they just came up with an arrangement. And, and, and even the extent of everything, I kind of know, I don't know all the details. Cause yeah, some, some right. of the things sometimes just feel impo- impolite to ask even. Sure. So, sure. Yeah. And how's your relationship with her now? It's good. It's really good. We met when I was 19. I found her, I found her pretty easily. Um, I knew her name. Um, and so I had a friend who sort of went and found her on my behalf. And fortunately, she was really open to meeting me. It's funny, until I started working in this field, I had, when I was a kid, I had never even considered that she might not meet me. Like that had never even crossed my mind. 
um, I just assumed, of course she would. Why wouldn't she? You know, I, I'm nice. People like me. So. <laughs> right? <laughs> so she was really open and uh, we, we have a relationship. You know, we're not, uh, it's not a parent-child relationship, but, but we have a relationship with each other. She has a daughter who's five years younger than I am. And I'm somewhat close to her as well. I'm pretty close to, with her. And they both came to my wedding and, Aww. you know, we're not in constant contact, but, you know, we're, we're good. Yeah. Yeah. That's good to hear. Yeah. So tell us, tell us more about kind of your path to your career. Right. So I went to Northwestern for college and I did the creative writing program, which I loved. Um, But then it became a moment where it became clear to me that I was not going to be a writer. (laughs) I realized it wasn't for me. I didn't have the self, the self-motivation or or the work ethic, I think, for to be a writer. So I um, decided to go to law school because my thought was, I don't know what to do um, with my degree. And I, um, I like school. So, and, I'm just you know, being a lawyer school. requires zero self-motivation. Exactly. You know, like, I thought like, yeah. <laughs> way easier. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I went to law school. Um, when I graduated, it was during the recession and there weren't a lot of jobs, which was scary. Um, I took a job doing litigation and it was fine. But Did I realized, you, yeah. Do you know about this area? Had you thought, you know, Mm-mm. no. I didn't know about it. I did know a little bit about it from my family law professor, um, and she'll factor in later. So we did in my family law class talk about some of the court cases. And so I was a little bit aware of surrogacy and um, aid donation, but but not really. I hadn't really considered that. Um, so I did litigation and I, I realized it wasn't for me. Like I'm not contentious. I don't like to fight. I'm not a zero sum person. So Pretty quickly, I was like, I, I've made a terrible mistake. Oh, no. <laughs> and then you started looking around for other options? Exactly. I just started looking around, asking people if they knew any attorneys who seemed happy, what they did. <laughs> Were there any? At happy law. Happy law. Found <laughs> a happy attorney who had retired. I found a few. Yeah, exactly. I'd meet them and they were like, this is also difficult and, and painful oh. and it hurts. And I'm like, oh, no. Um, so I went back to my family law professor and I was like, Hey, I really liked your class. Cause I did. And I was like, would you write me a recommendation? And her response was like, I don't really know you. You didn't really oh. participate in my class. Oh. Wow. <laughs> Do you want to call out that professor? No, no, no. She, she helped me a lot. Um, she said, I'm not gonna write your recommendation because honestly, I, I don't know you that well. She was just being honest. Yeah. Um, but she said, I can put you in touch with a few attorneys if you'd like. And she put me in touch with a with an attorney who does um, art law. Uh, it was Rich Vaughn. Uh, he was yeah. And so I emailed him, asked him if I he would have lunch with me. He was very courteous and nice and agreed to do it. Oh great! Um, yeah. So we had lunch together. He was so friendly, and everything he said sounded so interesting. And I thought, like, I think this is what I want to do. Yeah. So that's where I got there. Yeah. And then so how he did said, you, yeah. How'd you do it? What was the next step? So he said he'd send my resume out and he said, you know, no promises. They're really small firms. They're not usually hiring. Um, so he did. Nothing happened. And then just a couple months later, my current boss put up a job posting on their career website at UCLA, which is where I went to law school. And I read it and I said, this is, I mean, this is just like what Rich does. They have to know each other. Yeah. Um, so I contacted Rich and I said, um, remember me and I, uh, have you ever heard of this Stephen Lazarus person? Mm-hmm. And he said, he said, yes, <laughs> he's, he's, you know, he's a great attorney, important in our industry. And I said, 
um, would you mind just telling him you met me? Cause I'm interviewing and tell him, you know, I don't drool. And he said, sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that was pretty much the qualification. Like, do you drool? Don't drool. That was it. Yeah. Um, so I, yeah, I interviewed and then I got the job and then I've been here coming up on six years. Wow. That's yeah, great. It's been great. Mm-hmm. And at what point did you decide to be an egg donor? Yeah, it was about a year in. People usually assume that I was a donor first mm-hmm. uh, because that's a, how a lot of people find their way into this field is, right. is their personal experience. Yeah, um, I was the other way around. I was an attorney first and I I don't know, I just started meeting, you know, I was talking obviously to our clients who are donors and intended parents. So they seem like real people, which made a difference. And then I generally yeah. they're real people, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Generally, generally they're uh-huh. real people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but they just seemed, but I saw how much it helped people and, and it was lovely. It was more personal that way. And then I also, you know, met a lot of professionals, the attorneys and the doctors and the psychologists, and and then people didn't seem so scary to me. You know, they said they were also just real people. So <laughs> so about a year in I, I I decided to take the plunge to donate. Yeah. And how did oh. that how did you choose through the agency or on your own, given you're already having insight and insider knowledge to this area? Yeah. So I went through an agency. The first agency I went through actually approached me. Um, We were having lunch with the agency and she was essentially like, I have a good perfect couple for you. Do you want to donate? And I've been thinking about it. So (laughs) I was like, yeah, you're tall, beautiful and smart. Do you want to donate? (laughs) Right? Yeah. So I did my first donation. Um, which I did completely anonymous. Well, anonymously, you know, we talk about right. what that means. Yeah, but, right. Right. <laughs> we'll, we'll get there. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it's funny when I first joined, I'd asked about being a known donor. I said, that's really my preference. And it was just highly discouraged. And I was told you're just never going to get matched because it's going to freak people out. And so I was like, okay, <laughs> yeah, I'll do an anonymous donation. And so that's what I did. And there wasn't even like a check the box to like, I'm willing to be known at eight when the child's 18 or any of that. Nothing. She had me fill out uh, basically a Word document. I'm not sure what she did with the Word document, but it was a very small agency, but there was was nothing about willing to be contacted, willing to be known. It was basically like, this is like no questions asked. I wasn't allowed to ask for for things. Well, I was told pregnancy results, but sort of informally, but I wasn't allowed to really ask for anything. Wow. Yeah, that was my experience with that one. Yeah, but despite that, you wanted to do it again. I did. I did switch agencies to another agency that was a little bit bigger, and I felt that I had a little bit more control. Um, So that's when I decided to to make the switch um, to another agency, which I I did the rest of my donations with. And that is where I had more of an option of, of being known or at least expressing that I was open to being known. Yeah. And how did that go? Did they present profiles of potential parents to you and you chose or was it? No, different? they didn't do that. And I don't think any of the agencies are doing that, which they, sh- which would be nice. I would love <laughs> to see a mutual match system, sort of like right. surrogacy. That would be lovely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, no, it's funny when I joined the new agency, it was also someone I knew and had worked with and she was sort of surprised because I approached her and I said, I want to be a donor. She said, great. Um, when I met her for the first meeting, like the introduction meeting, she told me right away that she had a couple that was perfect for me. And I said, Oh, okay. And that they were a same sex couple, that they were looking for a donor who was willing to be open, which is, I think more common with same sex couples. 
Right. And so she, she was like, this is the perfect arrangement for you. And I was like, great. I was yeah. excited. And given your upbringing, yeah. did that resonate more to you that you wanted to donate to like a single man or a gay couple versus, you know, a heterosexual couple? Yeah, I was open to either. Um, but it, it was nice. It's funny. I, I only have one same sex couple and everybody else is heterosexual couples, which I, I don't know what that says about my profile or, or, or me, but, right, sure. but yeah, so I, um, yeah, I mean, I think when I went into the field, I was primarily looking at how it impacted the LGBT, LGBT community. And then as I got involved in the field, I got a better understanding of, of infertility, um, with heterosexual couples and heterosexual single people. And so I developed more of a sensitivity to that, you know, through my work. Um, so, um, I put my profile up and before I had a chance to meet the couple, I was matched already um, anonymously. So oh, not with oh, that wow. couple. You were matched with someone else. Yeah. So, oh. you even, so you didn't even get a choice then. Okay. I did because the, the basically, um, so they, she had sort of told me informally, should I be a good match? And then she put my profile up and it actually got picked really quickly. Um, and it was before I had a chance to really meet the other couple or explore anything. So I was matched to do a donation. I was so excited about being matched, especially so quickly that I said yes. And then I met the couple and I fell in love with them. And I was oh. like, oh, no. <laughs> I'm matched. I know. So, you know, we met for breakfast, the agency owner and me and the couple, and we just really hit it off. I think we were all on the same page. And then they, you know, they knew that I was matched and they uh, said that they would wait oh, until that wow. match was over. Yeah. That's sweet. And so what kind of good. weight does that does that look like? Six months. Six months. Um, I did all my donations in the beginning, back to back. Oh, wow. um, yeah, I, I, I know. I was like pretty much constantly cycling. So wow. my, my husband's really be, glad. I was going to say, that had to be super fun at home. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it was essentially every three months. You know, I would cycle oh. and then I, I'd usually matched again. And then I would, you know, have a, a, a menstrual cycle afterwards and then you know, the one following that, I would start over cycling. So I was just, just getting them. And I had easy cycles. That was, that was That's the good thing for me. Yeah. I mean, that helps in deciding to do it again. Right. 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 I, was, I, I didn't have complications. I was never a huge producer of eggs. I was never one of those women who has 40 or 50 eggs. Um, I, mine varied a lot from seven to 30, 31 or 33. Oh. One, one of those. That is a, yeah. So yeah. they varied wildly. It's so range. good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But I, I never, I, I didn't have any complications. My recovery was pretty easy. And so it was pretty easy to just get them done with. Were you married when you started or did you marry during all of your donations, like during the process? Yeah, it's funny. When I first started donating was when I first met my husband. Um, so it was around the same time. I was like, I met him and I was like, by the way, I'm going to go be an egg donor. And he's like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so. Um, so it was right around the same time they did my first donation and then we were together through all my donations and then married, um, right at the tail end, uh, right at the end. And what, what were his feelings on it? I feel, I mean, I guess because you were already donating from the beginning, you're like, this is just, this is what I do. That's how it is. Take me as I am. Yeah. Yeah. He's, you know, he's just really open-minded as a, I just, as a person, um, I think maybe part of it comes from the fact that his dad's adopted. So he grew up with this understanding of sort of alternative families and, and, you know, about love making a family. And 
so he was always fine with it. It never, he never had any problems with me donating. Um, you know, he would, he would help me with my medications and going to appointments. Uh, and, yeah, he was, he, was cool. Would he, would he give you the shots? Only when I had to do the HCG shot once. Cause yeah, cause that one's pretty scary. The intramuscular one. So that one mm-hmm. he did for me. But the, with the Lupron shots oh. and, and the other like, um, Tiny stuff one. I could do by myself. Yeah. Oh, so some of that were open. How did that, so you met this couple and you donated to them. How, how has that played out differently than the anonymous donations? Like, have you kept in touch? Do you meet up? Yeah. My open donation, I mean, that one, it makes me wish that all of my donations had been open. Um, you know, I mean, things play out the way they do and I, and I don't have any huge regrets, but I think if I could go back and do things over again, I would have, I would have just said only open donations really. Is it because, so most um, recipients and tenant parents are worried that the donor will kind of swoop in and try to steal the child. Is it because you want that opportunity to come in and, and just steal a child? Steal the child? <laughs> yes. <laughs> why? I've, been, I've been trying to, that's why I do so many donations or creating an army. Right. Well, your choices yeah. <laughs> yeah, the best part is that they raise them for you, right? Mm-hmm. And then and then you take them at a suitable age. Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> After they sleep through the night, yeah, it's all good. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I've met the, the open couple I've met four times. So not, not a whole lot. Um, we met the first time during the match meeting. So that was the first time I met them. Uh, the second time I met them was the day of the retrieval. I, that was me. That was all on me. I, I, I woke up from retrieval and I always wake up. I don't know. I just, I have, I have plans. I have lots of plans when I wake up from anesthesia. <laughs> so, so I told them, I was like, so they must be, must have to provide, you know, sperm. So that means that they must be here. Mm, and they were like, uh. yeah. And I was like, so they're in the lobby. And they were like, who, why are you asking? Oh. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, because I want to meet them. And they're like, do they, are you, like, do you know each other? And I was like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but you had met them. This is the same couple you had breakfast with. So you met them. Yes. Okay. I met them. Though, though I, I, I might've sort of sprung that on them a little bit um, <laughs> because I was like, I want to meet them. And I probably didn't want to hurt my feelings. I don't know. Cause I was, but, um, so they finally, the, the, the clinic was like, yeah, yeah, go, you can go meet them. Um, so I went in the lobby and I was still, I was still so loopy. Um, <laughs> is this someone telling you what happened or you remember it? I do remember it. I do remember it. I, I remember, I remember being like really friendly, giving them big hugs. I remember they'd made some comment about like getting dinner or drinks and I was like you have my number (laughs) and they're like oh no what have we done (laughs) that's when my husband is like ushering me away and saying like time to go like stop stop talking (laughs) nice to meet you (laughs) yeah and then I didn't hear from them for a long time I really left the ball in their court um we had each other's full contact information we'd exchanged it during the contract review but I didn't want to I, don't know, I didn't want to freak them out. Um, and I also assumed that they were busy, you know, with, with everything. So you're, you're like, hopefully yeah. they were busy having a baby, right? Yeah, exactly. So I, um, I would follow up and this was one of my favorite donations because um, I knew a little bit about like when there was a pregnancy and when there's a birth, it was a little bit more open. I, um, so I, I always followed up my donations. I, I would like mark my calendar and say like, this is when I'm following up on a pregnancy. This is when I'm following up on a birth. So I was really, um, oh, wow. You yeah. were very methodical about yeah. that. Okay. I was. Yeah. I was. So um, when I found out that they had a pregnancy, I was so happy for them. Um, when I found out that it was a birth, I was really, really happy for them. And then I, 
I asked the agency if I could like send them a card that I would send Aww. through the agency, even yeah. though I knew their address. I didn't want to send them yeah. something and be like, look, I know your address. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, yeah. I'm watching you from the bushes. Right. Yeah. Like, Exactly. So, um, so I sent them a card and it had also my, just reiterating my, my contact information and, um, and then yeah, I didn't hear from them for a while. That was fine. Um, oh, I, I forgot to mention, I did a second donation from them back to back because they wanted to make sure they had enough embryos. Oh, okay. The same um, oh, okay. Yeah. So okay. I ended up doing two donations. Um, the third time I met them was when the first child was born. Uh, they asked if I wanted to have dinner and I was like, absolutely. So, so we had dinner, it was me and the agency and them and, and the baby. And that was really, I mean, that was really sort of surreal, you know, yeah. <laughs> just, just see the baby. Yeah. yeah. He was only a did few you, months old. Yeah. Were you doing like some of those mental calculations? Like, does it look like me? Does it like, did, did it feel, have that feeling in any way, shape or form? Or were you a little more disassociated from it? I was definitely trying to figure it out. I was trying to figure out like, does he look like me? Um, is he me? Am I the baby? What, what, you know, what's going on? Um, but he, yeah, I mean, he looked, he looked like a baby, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. They, they so. all look like sacks of flour if you're being really honest about it. So, you know, <laughs> I didn't see any strong resemblance, but he, but he was, he was really cute. And they, and what really struck me about them is they just seemed really happy. And, um, they just, they, it, it seemed, that, that made me feel really good that, that it worked out so well for everybody. So that was great. And how did, how did you feel other than that? Were you kind of like, will I feel I have obligations to this child or do you, do I feel comfortable that this is just someone else's child? I feel completely comfortable that it was their child. Like I didn't feel at all that it was my child in any shape or form. Um, Cause they were parenting the child and, you know, and, and they knew that I just met them for dinner. Um, so it was sort of like meeting your friend's child but then knowing that, you know, the child has some sort of connection to me, but I, and, and me trying to figure out like what that is. Um, but I knew that I would, that I'd be open to any contact that they were willing to have. Yeah. Did you, con- did, so was that your last contact? You said there was four. Was there another one? Yeah. There's one more. Um, so I didn't hear from them for a while and that was fine. Uh, you know, I, 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 it was what it was and I, I respected their space. Um, then they had a second child. And so that's when I was contacted again to say that, that they had a second child and that they were wondering if I wanted to come over to their house for lunch. Oh, nice. oh wow. Yeah. And I was like, absolutely, I do. Um, so then me and my husband went. That's the first time that he met the children because he didn't come to the first dinner. He was out of town. Um, the only other time he met them was the waiting room at the clinic. So, when he was trying like, to usher you away. When trying to usher you away, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so this time I'm, I'm, I had my full faculties and um, we go over to their house. It's a, a lovely house. They had this lovely dinner. I mean, it's first lunch, a lovely lunch that was, that they made or, or whatever they did. It was, it was beautiful. It was, they were so nice and gracious. And, and the, the first little boy was, um, was two and a half now. So he, he was, um, talking and being a person and you know, had his own personality, <laughs> yeah. which was also interesting. That was, that was the most interesting part was just watching him be a person. Yeah. And how yeah. did he react to you? Did he know who you were? Did, how'd that go? So, yeah. So, this is how, so we walked into the room and this is where we tie back into the beginning <laughs> where he's, he's just sitting on the stairs and he's just chanting my name. He's saying, Amanda, Amanda, Amanda. And I'm very confused when this is happening. (laughs) (laughs) 
I like it. I yeah. like it, but it's confusing. You're not like waving um, to the crowd. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, his parents explained to me that um, he that, that he knows me from the P that was me, um, which is a book about donor conception or it could be about also surrogacy conception. Yes. Um, it's for children. And we'll just do a shout out for ourselves yeah. that we actually have an episode where we interview the author of oh, the P that was Tim, me. Yeah. So, so go yeah, back and listen Tim to Cooper that Bell, episode, yeah. everyone. Right. <laughs> yeah. So it was funny because I had brought that book with me as a gift as well as a daddy oh. pop on me. And so it's so funny. They were, they explained, I was like, and I, I think, I think they, they told me that, you know, they read these books to him. They didn't say which book it was. They, they read these books to him and that there's a donor character and there's a surrogate character and there's a doctor character. Mm-hmm. And they just use our names instead of saying donor and surrogate doctor. They just use our names. Um, yeah. So that, so he knows it's really funny to me to think about him also talking to the, talking about the IVF physician. Like, yeah. It seems like very, you for some reason, very odd to me. You're like <laughs> famous. You're this character from a book he reads. Yeah, I'm the egg lady. I'm the lady who gave him his egg. That's, that's what he knows. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what that means to him, but, but that he knows that that's who I am. Yeah. Um, so that was really neat. Yeah, so I, I brought them the books and I and I was like, I brought this gift for you. And they were like, oh, thank you. We, we have these books and many others. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, I guess you can just re-gift it for yes. someone else. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it, it was just lovely. I mean, they were so, they were just, it was just really nice. They, they, they were great people. We had a great time. Um, it was wonderful just watching a little boy. He was so sweet and funny um, and just really just amazing. I really just appreciated their parenting style. And um, I just thought, it, I just thought they were great. I think at the end, yeah, they were so kind. There's a, a moment where they're sort of like wrapping up, like very politely saying, can we get you any coffee? And that's when me and my husband are like, oh, I guess we're, it's just time to go. Yeah. Okay. It's our cue. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So is that, yeah. are those the only um, children that you've met that were from your donations? Yes. Um, it's the only ones I've met, although many of the families have my email address um, in my personal email address, which is very identifying. It, um, it is right. essentially my name, but it's also linked to my Cal bar account. Mm. So, and Got I it. wasn't, af- and I wasn't afraid to give that. I mean, I would, I, I was like, just, I don't I, I assume they know who I am anyway, from the information on my profile, if they did any sort of looking me up, which I wouldn't care about. So I was like, it's fine if they have my email address. I don't, I don't mind. I haven't, I haven't heard from them. There was one family that I had a Skype meeting with during the match meeting. And they were wonderful and lovely too. Um, but I haven't had contact with them since. Yeah. Got it. Are you part of the donor sibling registry or any of those kind of databases as well? I'm not. I'm not part of the donor sibling registry. And the reason is just because the kids are so young that it doesn't feel like I really need to be. And then also I purposely did my donations, except for the first one, through the same agency in part because I felt that it was easier for them to find me that way. Um, the agency knows who I am. The agency knows that I'm open to contact. Like, I, I feel like I've, I've like beaten that message into them. Like I want, I, I open to contact. Like, yes, we know. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I'm still yeah. open to contact. Thank you. Yes, we know. Okay. Yeah, yes, we know this. Um, and then also I thought it'd be easier for the families to meet each other. If they ever decided that they wanted to do that, that they're all linked to the same agency. Um, so I'm not in the donor sewing registry. Most people have my email address. Um, or they could just contact the agency and I feel confident they would, you know, contact me. And then also I'm, you know, I, I'm just, I'm easy to find essentially. Interesting. So uh, 
tell me, and I mean, this kind of goes into just your personal beliefs, but like, since obviously you've had open mm-hmm. donations versus, and I say not anonymous because nothing is anonymous anymore, but right. what are your feelings on that just in general, you know, for other people going through this process? I, I'd like to see a shift towards a more open. Um, the issue that I see is that an- anonymity, which I'm using air quotes, yeah. is is still being pushed as the default. And in my experience, especially with intended parents, is that everything is so overwhelming and there's so much, it can be scary. And so whatever is presented as the default seems right. So for instance, like when I draft a contract for intended parent and the donor or the surrogate has a couple changes, I'll see them, I'll think these are minor, it's fine. But the intended parents are thinking, but if it was the way it was for a reason, then why is it being changed? You know, obviously the change is, is, is the scary part. So I think it's about presenting open donations as maybe even preferable, but at the very least as something that's normal. Um, I would like to see moving more into, I, th- I think with the end of anonymity, which I, I think is, is a good, really good thing, I would like to see more of a mutual match um, the way it is with surrogacy, where it had, with donors have donor profiles and intended parents have profiles, and then they match based on it being a good fit. Uh, that's that's how I'd like to see things go. Yeah, that makes sense. And and do you think anonymity is even real still with DNA testing? No. And yeah, <laughs> it's not. And I feel like the person who um, I think the, the 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 burden in my mind really falls on the donors, and that I. I think that the donors are more easily discoverable. So it's sort of like someone knows who you are, but you don't know who they are yet. And so I, I don't think, I mean, it's definitely our conversations with our clients are always that if it's anonymous, that's temporary. Um, you know, there's no guarantee of anonymity that um, there's so much, there's just so much information. And I know we, we, we ask intended parents not to use any of that information to find out who the donor is, but I think that's a big ask. When you're, when you're Curiosity about... is a big, big thing. Yeah. Yeah. Right. This person's donating, you know, your, half of the DNA to your child and you have this information, you could find out who that person is. Like, uh, I think it's a big ask to ask them not to do that. Right. right. Especially well, on days when you're like frustrated and you're like, why is my kid throwing temper tantrums? It doesn't come from me, right? It must <laughs> be from the donor, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's from the donor. <laughs> Well, I think it's really fascinating that there is this um, this news article and the situation that happened out there where a woman used sperm donation right. to have her child, and then she did a DNA test for her child and found the donor's mother, yeah. I believe, and just reached out. And it was something very light, like, hey, I don't, I don't know what the rules are. I just want to let you know I'm out here. And then the mother of the donor reached out to the donor, and the donor reached out to the clinic, and the clinic sent this like very aggressive letter that was like we're possibly suing you and we're taking back the other vials. I was going to say, they just took back the other vials. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What, as an attorney and as a donor, what are your feelings on that situation? I had very complicated feelings about this one. Um, I'm, I'm in a lot of support groups for donor conceived people and intended parents and donors. I just want to hear what everyone has to say. Mm-hmm. And there's a particular group that I'm in where there's a lot of push to intended parents to open up their donations. And sometimes it's a little bit, a little bit late because they already did them. And there's a lot of push to say, well, the, the right thing to do would be to try to open it now. Um, and so I think there's a lot of encouragement to do that. And I think that's maybe why she did it. I don't know for sure. I mean, I don't know her, um, but it could have been because of that sort of encouragement that, that I do see online a lot. Um, that being said, it's hard for me because I don't think that if the donor re- donated recently, 
there really shouldn't have been ex- any expectation of, comp- of anonymity and that should have been explained um, to him. But at the same time, I also really do feel for him and, and being contacted. And that's part of the reason that I like the idea of open donations is, is donors really shouldn't be contacted through their family members. Um, so it'd be great if we could find a way around that, because I do think that that's really, that's really tough. Like he may not have told and to just have that outed like that, like that, that was really tough for me. I wasn't sure that that was right. Um, I, I think that she came with good intentions. Um, it backfired a lot. Um, I worry about, and I believe it was an open ID donor at 18. And so I, I worry that maybe the child would have had a chance to be the donor and maybe things are, I, I don't know if it hurt the child's chances of, of having a relationship with the donor. That, that would be my, my fear about what happened. So that's, I mean, that's the thing is that they, we tell people not to contact each other directly. We say all communication goes through the agency of the clinic, but then if they try, a lot of times the agencies in the clinic say, well, you signed saying it was anonymous. We're not going to help you. Mm-hmm. So what are, what are they supposed to do? Right. Yeah. And it's just so easy now that you do this DNA test yeah. and pop, you know, that someone's there. Yeah. Right. So maybe letting it be open and saying that, you know, and making sure that it's somebody that you're, that you're comfortable matching with. This is somebody that you want to, to have some part of your life. Right. So I think you come with such a unique perspective of being an attorney in this area, as well as being a donor. What are the other big issues that you see in, in donor arrangements that you feel are misunderstood or really could be, you know, better, you can better educate people on? Hmm. I don't know that I have an answer to that. <laughs> I, I just made that Way up to right put then. Her on the so. spot, Ellen. Yeah, <laughs> I, know, I know. I mean, I feel like anonymity is obviously a big one. Um, do yeah. you have feelings on? I feel like a big one that comes up with donor arrangements is putting restrictions on the donation. So a donor saying, you know, I'm donating this to you, but I don't want you to donate further, or other. Or I, yeah. I feel have started about you research, to or them. Yeah, yeah, right. That one, yeah, that that is an interesting one. Um, yeah, we, we often have donors that, that don't want donation to medical research or to their families. And mostly it comes down to whether or not the intended parents are okay with those restrictions. The donations to other families is an interesting one because ideally, in my mind, you know, it would be great for embryos to have some sort of, there's just so much that goes into them. It's lovely to be able to sort of pay that forward to another family, maybe a family that has already exhausted their funds and and really can't afford a fresh cycle. And there's these embryos already created. So that's really lovely. Um, but from the donor's perspective, I can see also why a donor would not want redonation. I mean, some of the reasons are um, not knowing really where these embryos are going, like how many families are there going to be. Um, and then also this feeling that I donated to this particular family, not the world at large. So sometimes I encourage donors if they're on the fence to put something in the contract saying that either they'll be notified of redonations or maybe it requires a written permission. So maybe the door is still ajar, but but they get to decide based on the circumstances if it's something they're comfortable with. So for instance, a donor might be comfortable if you donate the embryos to your sister, they might not be comfortable if you donate them back to the clinic. You know, so um, and then the other concern, I guess, is that the subsequent recipients and the donor don't have a direct agreement with between each other. So there's nothing between them. I think that's a little bit problematic as well. Right. So you might, these contact provisions, for example, like you won't reach out to my, my mom or my aunt, like this other family has nothing like that with you. Exactly. Or you won't reach out to my family, my aunt, you won't, you know, put my donor profile on the internet, like (laughs) like that. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is really, and I, and that, I mean, I don't, 
I, I don't know how to solve that other than having potentially having the donor sign a new agreement with you subsequent recipient, which is a lot of work, but I think, I guess is a possibility. Right. Well, and it could be by then, and at that point, a donor has moved on in their life and they yeah. don't even want to put the effort into it as yeah. well. You know, that they'd be fine with it being on, but they don't, you know, moving on, but you know, what about going through all this legal stuff? It takes a lot of time to go through another contract yes. and review and make sure you understand it. And I mean, I could definitely yeah. see some of those things becoming very problematic further, the further down you get more generations away you get from it. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. The donor could, could be somewhere completely different. Maybe you can't reach her. Mm-hmm. So to go very personal, which is the question that you're mm-hmm. never supposed to ask anyone, <laughs> but um, do you have plans yeah. for children yourself? And if yes, yes, how does it play into being a donor? I do. I, I've always wanted to be a parent. That was always something that was important to me even when I was a kid. I, I don't know why. It was just something that I always wanted. Um, and now that I'm approaching 33. Ooh, so old. Um, so old. <laughs> so you do start to think about those things. <laughs> but I think especially in my field, you know, mm. I start to worry, um, you know, about the age. Uh, my husband and I actually have embryos, which oh. is nice. Oh, yeah. Um, I ha- we have ten frozen embryos, and the way that came about was I had a cycle. I, I worked most of my cycles were with the same doctor. Uh, we just had a rhythm going. I, I knew him; he knew me. We, we had a very similar approach to the egg donation, which is I won't waste your time if you don't waste my time. Like just get me in and out, and I'll and I'll do what I'm supposed to do. Um, you know, I didn't need a lot of hand holding, but also I was busy, so I was just like I, I just don't want to do a lot. And he, he also was very busy. So he's fine with that. Um, I had a, I'd been thinking about freezing eggs at that point in my life. And I did a donation and there were just way more eggs than usual. Um, cause it just varied so much. And so I had this idea, like I said, when I wake up from anesthesia, I have, I have big plans. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so I woke up and they told me the number of eggs and I was like, bring me the doctor. Oh, <laughs> like, what? And so they bring him to me and he's like, what's going on? And I said, I've got a plan. <laughs> I said, can you please approach the couple and say that I want to buy some of the eggs from them? Oh, wow. Like, oh, I, wow. Yeah. They, I'm not going to just take them. You're doing this I, negotiation I fresh from anesthesia. Like still? <laughs> right yes. No, I know. I, which happened when I had my best plans, apparently. Like, right. Really quick. So I'm saying I'll buy them. Like we can figure out a price that's fair. You, you deduct it from my compensation. Like, and meanwhile, before I talk to the doctor, I'm texting my my husband. Like, Get over and you're her. like, show up <laughs> yes. and be ready to drop your pants. Yeah, oh, wow. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah, because he was my companion already. So he's supposed to pick me up. I'm like, you have to come now because you have to provide a sperm sample like right now. And he was like, what? And I was like, yes. <laughs> Um, you know, if you're gonna have to do it, that's probably the best way anyway. You know, then you don't have to worry about it. That's gonna be hilarious text. Oh my god, (laughs) best text ever. Yeah, exactly. He was like, okay, but um, so the doctor, I told it to the doctor, and he's really honest with me, and he says, um, you know, if it was any other couple, I would, but this couple, they say, he says, you know, we they've been with us for a long time, and we just really need to fertilize all the eggs. Like we need to give them the best chance possible, and and I understood that. I respect that. But he also said, if you want to do your own cycle, like I'll work with you. And I was like, okay. And so I remember thinking like, he thinks I'm not going to remember because of the medications mm-hmm. they gave me, but I'm going to remember. So I'm like texting myself. I'm like, he said he would do a cycle for me. Um, so, um, <laughs> so we ended up doing a cycle. He, you know, he was very fair with me and we ended up uh, doing a, a cycle. I'd originally wanted to freeze eggs, 
um, or part eggs, part embryos, just in case. Yeah, because you don't um, know about this then, current husband. Just, Who knows? I don't know about this current husband. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, ultimately he said it depends on the number. Okay. And based on the numbers that came out, he said it's just not, it doesn't make sense to freeze any eggs um, that we should fertilize. Okay, so said, hubby, okay. you better, you know, better be nice. Like, That's right. Out, you better or, stay first, yeah. I guess. <laughs> Yeah, I know. That would be nice. Um, yeah, so we, so we created embryos. And it's, and it's obviously not a guarantee, but it gives me like some peace of mind yeah. to have them. Right. Yeah. So have you... We'll probably have children. And have you thought about how you'll, what you'll tell to your own children in the future about these other genetically leaked persons out there because of your donations? I will. And I always, I think about a lot how there's a lot of resources for intended parents to talk to their children. I don't know of any resources for donors who are thinking about how to approach the topic with their children. Mm-hmm. I think that would be nice like, to hey, see. Guess you what? talk to Kim FYI. and have her be like, I am the one who gave the pee. And also my kids are on the same stock of that <laughs> plant. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> she needs yeah. to write another book. Yeah. I, need another book. yeah. <laughs> I think that it's a little bit easier for me because of my work. And so that's sort of an easy segue of like, this is what I do, but also you have, you know, eight or so, uh, half a no genetic siblings that you should be aware of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. right. Just in case you're dating them, like maybe ask that question first. Like. Yeah, I, I think they can only date people born before a certain time. <laughs> is, I, is I think the rule. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I, I think that we plan to have that conversation. I've also had a lot of conversations with my husband about what we do if and when the the children from the donations show up. And I always tell them, I'm like, we're going to be so open and we're going to listen to them. And whatever they have to say, we're going to listen and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, what do you think? And he's like, I, I don't know. Like, yeah. whatever you think. <laughs> I, I think that's a real fear for donors that, that someday this person yeah. just shows up and is like, why weren't you there for me? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, which, I mean, I, I would hope hope that they're happy and healthy, but you, you, you should never know. And, and I even said, you know, if, if they're upset about anything, then we just have to listen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, that makes sense. Yeah. um, Well, this has been amazing. I really appreciate just kind of your your unique perspective and all that you've done to help families, both personally and professionally. And really appreciate you you coming on to to share your story. Oh, thank you. It's been a pleasure. I love being on. All right, I'm going with the theme here. Ellen, Ellen. So special. I, I love how special she felt with that. I was I like, know. and it's really cool. Everybody needs a parade of people chanting for you at all times. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Amanda Troxler, for joining us. Uh, she, yeah, she was amazing. Thank you, not only because you're an attorney and you know they're my favorite, uh, but also such a unique perspective and her experience. I think is really informative and telling, and can be a really good resource for those thinking about egg donation and um, realizing it's not just a, you know, a slow um, kidnapping to say, like, right? of your child, <laughs> that there are, you know, good reasons why people want to do this and different perspectives. And, and that some people really do want it to be open. I think that's a realization that, and an option that a lot of agencies have not been allowing people to explore. And it's nice and it's refreshing to see that, that people are more able to do that now and to talk through their feelings and at least validate their feelings on, on having open embryo or not embryo donation, egg donation. Mm, that too. but and, and that too, but this was specifically about egg mm-hmm. donation. And yeah, anyway. Um, but we would love to hear if anybody out there has any suggestions on who they want to hear from, any great stories. Uh, we are always available at our hotline number, 
1903. And of course, we love the feedback on iTunes. So if you leave us some, you know, something there, we would really love it. Uh, and we'll yeah, chant your you. name. Thank we, you. Thank Listeners. you. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Um, but also thank you. Should we should we chant to Chris? Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Chris. Work it, work soon we needed to be a better time for that. Maybe, maybe he can do some magic and make us sound better after that. <laughs> <laughs> right right um, some no. cheering in the background maybe right so no huge thank you to chris to amanda to Lindsay, to our entire team who work tirelessly for us every day and again always thank you to you who listen we really appreciate it